In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. Glory to Thee who cures affliction and emptiness. Hang on a second. Glory to thee who cures affliction and emptiness with the healing flow of time, O Lord. Show us the light of thy countenance, and we shall be made whole. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just very briefly, a couple weeks ago was the last time that we met, and in the last session, one of the things that we talked about is that time just like geographical spaces, time needs to become sacred in our lives as Christians. Time needs to become sacred again. And time becomes sacred only by two possibilities. The first, more important, but both have to happen together. The first is this, God being present in the moments of time. There is no sacredness without Him. And He is present in every singular moment of our existence. But then there's the second thing that makes that time sacred, is that when we open our hearts to attend to the God, to experience the God who is infinitely with us, present in the very moments of our lives. So now we move ahead this week, and what we're going to do this week is we're going to start taking even a more in-depth look, I think, into some of the distractions from the present moment. What are some of the common distractions that we have from experiencing Christ in the present moment. And I want to share with you the words of the author Henry Wadsworth Longfellow from A Psalm of Life. A Psalm of Life. Listen to these words. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Hearth within, O God overhead. That calling, hearth within. Lord, you're, you're above everything and in everything, but come and make home right here. You see? Trust not the future. Let, I love that line. Let the past, let the dead past bury its dead. And inviting Christ to come and dwell within us every moment. Those are beautiful words. And it really reminds us how our minds, they tend to gravitate on anything but the present moment. If you really think about your normal activities through the day. There are so many distractions, I believe, totally intended in this life to distract us, to pull us out of the experience of God in the present moments. Because our minds are either gravitating towards what's next in the future, right? This happens to us all the time. What's coming up? What do I need to plan for? What do I need to think about? What's going to happen in my life? Or worries about what's going to happen in the future? Or we're far too often prisoners in our minds and in our hearts, prisoners of our past. And both of which pull us with an unhealthy tension out of the present salvific moment that we can have with our God. 
Again, I love that line, let the dead past bury its dead. What does that mean to us as Christians who are offered the opportunity to live in the joy and the hope of Christ in the moment? It's this, we no longer have to be prisoners of regret and slaves to a bruised and wounded conscience, nor do we have to let the past or thoughts on the future, but particularly the past, Tell us what our identity is. And so many times, there are so many things in our past that are trying to communicate, you see, this is who you are. Because of what's been done to you, or because of what you have done in this life, your greatest failures. None of those things. When it says, let the dead past bury the dead in Christ, none of those things have anything to do with our true identity. Not one iota. Our true identity is discovered when we look at the face of God. And we will let Him communicate to us, this is who you are. This is who I've created you to be, formed you to be. And this is who I've filled what I've formed to become it. You see? This is what we need to see about this. And that's what that means, let the dead past bury its dead. And so today, we're going to examine more specifically some of these roots of our escaping the present, the things that tug us and try to convince us to escape the present, because when we recognize those, we, do, we, we recognize the roots of despondency itself. We recognize the roots of despondency itself. Dr. Rokas, in her book, Time and Despondency, she does well to offer us some thoughts from St. John Cassian, who was a monastic in the late 4th and early 5th centuries. This blessed monastic. He really had a beautiful and accurate eye on his own soul, but also on the souls of his brother monastics that he was in the charge of. When it came, when it, especially he was clear in the way he saw things, on the things that sought to distract himself and all of his monastics from the God of the present moment. And he especially noted the distractions they would face regarding the focus of the soul in fellowship with God, even in their monastic cells. Now, some of y'all are new. When I say monastic cells, when, we, when you hear cell, you probably think prison. Don't. That's not what cell means. In the Latin, it means chamber. And to the monastic, it means chamber of true being. Chamber of the place where I live and dwell where God is present. That's what the monastic cell is. And he saw so often what was prompting from within the monastics. If Think about this. If their monastic cell, the place where they made their habitation, was the place where God dwelled with them. Okay? The place of his presence in the present moment. Then what he was noticing is all of these different distractions that were getting them to leave their cell. And to go and be distracted and go pursue something else or set their minds on something else. And I'm going to share with you some thoughts from St. John Cassian regarding his, what he sees in himself with that, but also his monastics, because I believe we'll see things about ourselves. At least I did, very, very clearly, very clearly. And this is what we're after. We want to see clearly. This is the illumination we've been talking about that came from even the idea from the Transfiguration Mass that in the darkness, Christ's illumination, the darkness rolls away and we see clearly. We want to see these things. And St. John Cassian's insights even helped me, not only today, but looking back at much of my life. 
Let me offer you the, some of the words of St. John Cassian that he wrote down in his observations of these distractions. He said, when despondency has taken possession of some unhappy soul, it produces a dislike of the place, disgust with the cell, and disdain and contempt of the brethren who dwell with him or at a little distance. Despondency, he says, causes the monk to believe that he will never be well while he stays in that place unless he leaves his cell. Despondency produces in him kind of a, re a restless, reminiscent of a caged tiger. If you're in my despondency, I identified so greatly with this. When I look back, particularly at my young adulthood at different points, I realized how whatever my environment was, whatever place I was existing in, because of, I didn't know it was because of my despondency, but because of my despondency, I grew restless in that place. And so the first thing that came to my mind is, well, if you're restless in this place, joy can be found if you move out of it. And you go to an, make a change to find your joy. Make a change to find contentment of atmosphere, of environment. See, he was seeing this in the monastics where the most blessed experience they could have is there daily in their monastic cells in their chambers with God, but the distractions and the, uh, and the restlessness within them caused them to go out and find busyness. Get out of that place. Get out of that present moment. Make a change. And that's where you're going to find rest restored to your soul. some things to do in order to justify my ministry. And it, fortunately, I had a wise and old priest who said, just enjoy it. It won't be like this for long. It will not last. But God bless that man. Yeah. Thank God. So, let me ask you this. What I just described to you, restlessness settling in, and it producing the distraction of change. Make some change. That's the only thing that's going to save you out of this restlessness. Can any of you, any of you have any kind of looking back at your lives, points of your lives where that restlessness settled in and your first thoughts or the most driving thoughts within you is I've got to get out of here? Tell me, tell me about some of those. I'd love to hear some of those moments in your lives. Yeah. It's very unusual to have a supervisor like that. It really is, and thank God for it, because if not, you'd have bolted from that place. Yeah. You know, that, that's sure. Very good. Very good. Any other examples of something like that? There are many things. It's not just job. Job is, is definitely one of them, but there are many things in life that we get restless in and we think change is the answer. Yeah. Jay? thought crosses 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely, it is. Can you speak? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. He. The thought has crossed my mind to leave this church. Yeah. Um, I, I'm coming from the Roman Church, but it's a long journey in the catechumen journey. Yeah, um, it is. To get to the end goal, and it'd be, it's very tempting at times just to say, you know what, I'd like. Be to much easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. That's right. That's right. But I'd find you. Product of the journey of staying with it is the fruit of the tree of life. That's the product of it. But we only see it when we stick it out. We don't see it when we take it. And that's why it's the devil that wants us. Exactly. There's a, there it is. Get you out of here so long as we remain unstable. Yes, yes, so yes. It does. No, that's right. Karen? Yeah, right. You recognize the broken record. It just keeps coming. Sick, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And there's where you realize peace leaving you as the, as the thoughts spiral. Yeah, exactly. Kathy? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And Jay, you know, you, you say you're, you're, you're going to be mad at this. Well, only if you're going to be mad at a priest who has those thoughts of leaving the church. Does that shock you? It shouldn't. I'm a human being in need of healing, and I'm in the household of healing, and Satan doesn't want me there. I have temptations all the time. You know, look, look at yourself. You've got nothing left to offer. You've been there eight and a half years. Look at how tired you are. You can't do this. You can't do this. Look at your own failures. Go and find a happy place. I'm in a happy place. But that's the deception. That's the deception. Right. Always, always, always. You know, thank you all, by the way, for sharing. Let me share with you something from Dr. Rokos that, that dealing with this present moment. Whatever the present looks like at any given moment, there are only two possible ways of responding to that present moment. One, to enter. Or two, to exit it. To respond or despond. To enter the present is to surrender with thanksgiving to the time and circumstances God has placed before us to abide in God's presence in time and space. To exit, by contrast, is to reject this gift, really to reject reality. Despondency begins when we step away from the present and fashion reality in our own terms. You know what that means? When we decide in the moment to be God, idolatry rises up within us, and I'm going to make decisions. My will be done, and I'm going to go, you know, that direction, and that comes to every one of us. St. John Cassian, speaking of a lot of this, in fact, today we're going to look at three different aspects of where despondency and temptations out of the present moment come in. And the first one is physically. We've been talking about that one, where, where we're tempted to escape physically from the present moment. And this comes in a number of different ways. Let me give you the words of St. John Cassian, uh, uh, something else that he taught. Whenever despondency begins in any degree to overcome anyone, it drives him out of his cell and makes him restless and a wanderer and wanting to avoid any diligent work or efforts. We talked about that with whether it's job situations, where we live in our houses, where we're ministering, or where we're having fellowship with people and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you another experience of mine. This came to me very, very clearly that I'd really never seen as clearly before, and it had to do with actually my first ministry calling as a pastor in the year 2000. So my pastor of the church that I was with helped me discover that pastoral calling because five years before he helped me see it, I'd have laughed in his face if he told me I had a pastoral calling in my life. And I remember that the last two years I was at the church, my wife and I and family at the church that I grew up as a toddler. I'd been there all my life other than bits here and there. And there were some things in the ministry that I was doing. I was doing worship ministry, and, and I was an elder there, and I was, I was getting frustrated with things that weren't happening fast enough at that church and things that could be and things that I could be doing and, and so on and so forth. 
And I actually took that first pastoral calling and moved my family to Huntsville, Alabama, I believe wholeheartedly out of despondency. I'm not going to, that's not to say that Christ didn't use my despondency, you see, for anything good for anybody. But the reason I left looking back was because of my despondency. I didn't, I was restless. And the message was, move. Go take this ministry position. That's where you'll find your joy in ministering and all of this. And I saw that very clearly. If you move out of your situation, go somewhere else, your, your spiritual stagnation that you're frustrated with will end. Your frustration with the current church will go away. Joy will return. And again, for me, you'll, you'll flourish in ministry. But I want you to notice the underlying deception of all of this was the deception that I couldn't see that I was the problem. It wasn't my church. Oh, we all had problems, but as soon as God put man in a garden, there'd been a problem. It wasn't that. The problem was me. And isn't that the truth of all of us? You know, the real weakness and the deception of this physical temptation to despondency, make a change, make a change, is the one that says, step up and move somewhere else, change your surroundings. The real problem is that wherever you go, guess what the problem is? You're there. <laughs> and all the baggage that you had when you left, for a season, you're going to find some calm and refreshment with the change. But by God's mercy, that's coming to the surface in no time. Yeah, <laughs> or don't go looking for the perfect church because your soul done left your body, is what, right? I mean, that's right. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. We take our baggage, our frailties, brokenness, unyet healed by Christ with us everywhere we go. And the reality that I saw was that with it being my problem, I could have encountered God, run to Him, experienced him in the moments of my life, and he would have sustained me even though there was frustration around me and within me. And he probably would have calmed the frustration and the storm that was in my own mind and my heart, you see? And I think we respond so many times by moving that direction that we think that the answer to our restlessness is a change when the answer to our restlessness is God himself in the moment as St. Augustine speaks so clearly to us. You see? And I think we also need to see, speaking of temptations to physically remove ourselves from the moments of our lives, I think we need to see the obvious connections between escaping the present physical and reality and the infinite torrential growth of physical addictions in our world and in our culture. At the same time, I'm mindful that all of these physical addictions are not just this physical removing from the moment, but they stem from broken, our, our broken emotions and our broken souls as well. At the same time, we need to see this. For example, I mean, we, you know, we just talked about the addiction to change. That is an addiction. We can get ourselves in an addiction of constantly changing because we're the problem, and everywhere we go, we are, but we don't let God heal us, so we've got to change and change and change. Alcohol and drug addiction. What do you think that is? 
I can't stand myself. I can't stand what's happened in my life. Or I can't stand the identity that I've been deceived to believe about myself. And so the way that I remove myself from the moments of this adventure of life and any potential interaction with God is, is, I, is I numb it with alcohol and drugs. I escape the horrors of me. You see? Whether it's the horrors of things that have happened to me or because of the horrors of things I've chosen to do in the past and all that comes with it, that's the escapism. By the way, guys, and you know, all, all of you listen to this. You, you're hearing this all over the place, but pornographic addiction and sex addiction has become one of the top addictions that's out there in this day and age. And don't be deceived. Pornographic and sexual addiction is far less about human sexuality at all. At all especially as God created it. It's far more about the same problem drug and alcohol abusers and addicts face. They're doing something that takes them completely out of the present moment. And it doesn't soothe at all. It heaps more and more damage of conscience upon them and keeps them trapped into that. You know, just like, it, just like the alcohol and drug addiction, the sex addiction and pornographic addictions, it corrupts time and destroys soul. That's what it does. And it's very important for us to realize that we need to recognize that, that all of those addictions, all of those things are rooted in despondency and in restlessness and in a people that are either too afraid, haven't been introduced to or whatever, but are not encountering God in the present moment of their lives and are too scared to or don't believe they're worthy to because they're falsely deceived into thinking anybody's worthy. Because none of us are, and yet he welcomes us in. As Deacon says, he runs out and kisses our neck over and over and over again. So we can have these tendencies to, to see our despondency in those ways of make a change or remove ourselves from the present moment. Let's move now to the temptation to escape the present mentally in our thought life. And we talked about this a number of weeks ago. This is where we return to the idea of how much we are in need of such great grace, such great grace to help us in the battlefield of our minds on a daily basis. That grace that, as St. Paul says, and we talked about weeks ago, the grace to take every thought captive, to bring Christ into the moment of our thoughts so that we can be victorious in our thoughts and so that we can have his mind helping us over our thoughts. What to throw away like trash and what to embrace and bring into ourselves because it's good and nurturing to our souls. You know, there are many thoughts, and you guys know this, there are many thoughts that fly through our minds every moment of every day, darn near relentlessly. At least it is for me. And the nature of our thoughts, from our brokenness yet to be healed by Christ, those are the very thoughts that Satan uses actively against us. The nature of those thoughts is to distract us and rob us again from the present moment. And these thoughts come in, in many forms. They certainly have for me. And I want to examine two different forms that our thoughts have great tendencies uh, to come to us in. Um, many of the thoughts, and they have to do with what we said at the very beginning today. Thoughts of the future or thoughts of the past, but never present moment. Thoughts of the future and thoughts of the past and rarely in the present moment. I'll give you an, an, uh, an example. How many of you ever had anxious thoughts? Yeah. 
if I'm looking at my anxious thoughts honestly, even if there's something scaring me in the moment, bringing fear to me in the moment, I'm usually drawn to something in the past, a fear of something that's happened. Or my mind goes to the future. If this happens, what's going to happen to me in the future? You see? Almost all. I don't want to say all because I, 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 I can certainly be proven wrong and see some things. But the majority of our anxious thoughts are rooted in the past and the future, which means our anxious thoughts are part of that despondency in the way that our enemy is using our brokenness to keep us from enjoying God in the present. And we need to be on guard about these things. Um, we're either anxious from past hurts or we're anxious about something in our future, either us not becoming what we want to become or something happening to us in the future. It could be finances and the you name it, just, but it takes us out of the moment. And the second of three types of thoughts I want to mention to you, I want to categorize this as thoughts of regret. Thoughts of regret. And here the focus is, is just about nearly entirely focused on it brings our mind out of the present and sets it upon the past. Thoughts of regret. And to be clear, I, I really want to say this. Regrets, in, there are healthy ways to deal with I have regrets that I should have. And they're right and good and they've been revealed to me by God. We have to go through some regret in this life and that regret is given to us by the Holy Spirit to move us toward God, towards Him, like the prodigal son going back. It moves us to the return, okay? So that we can go before Him and receive mercy and covering of our falling short from the past that He brought up that regret for us to be able to deal with. And the very things that He longs to forgive, and not only does He forgive, we're told, and this is the most amazing thing, that when we are covered by the mercy and forgiveness of God, that he remembers our sins no more. Our, our humanity can't, can't handle that. We can't handle that. But God can. And when he forgives, his forgiveness is so total, he doesn't remember it. It's, it's as if if there was ever a ledger, it's, it's, no, it's broken to pieces. He remembers it no more. As Christians, we need the grace of God desperately in our lives to receive the mercy and to receive his mind on forgiveness. The release and, and a lack of a burdened conscience. You know, if we go to Christ with regret, with true, truly penitent hearts, and we walk away knowing intellectually that he's forgiven us, but for some reason our conscience is still weighty, and this can happen. It's not that God hasn't forgiven, and he certainly has forgotten. The problem is there's something broken in our humanity that's not receiving it. You understand that? God never fails to forgive the penitent heart and give mercy and to wash clean and to remember no more. The problem lies in our brokenness that we won't receive that kind of love. And so this is, by the way, we've talked about this in so many classes, but as a reminder... This is why we're given the sacrament of confession and absolution. That when we go to our great high priest and we're not, we don't for some reason receive the forgiveness, so we're still wrapped up in regret and a false identity because of things done to us in the past or we've done, 
that sacrament is there to heal the heart to receive the forgiveness of God, you see? It's a great gift to us. It's Christ's wisdom. So our thought life, deceptive, and I'll say the third one, deceptive thoughts of the future. I say deceptive because God does give wisdom for us to plan things. He gives us wisdom in this moment to be about something that could have future implications. A great example in Scripture of that is Joseph. Remember how Joseph got elevated in Egypt? He discerned the dream of of Pharaoh, right? There's going to be years of famine. And so the Pharaoh said, what shall we do? And Joseph said, store up. Everyone in Egypt, store up grain in the ground, a portion of their grain in the storehouses for years so that when the years of famine hit, there's enough grain and the people won't starve and die. God, but, but understand this, even that thought on the future, this is here we got to see this, even that thought about something that would happen in the future forced them to act in the present. They had to walk in the discipline in the present moment by storing up their grain by that wisdom. Do you see that? So those are not the types of, of temptations of thoughts on the future that we're talking about that we need to be concerned about. Those aren't the thoughts of of despondency. But how many times do we get trapped in looking toward the future, almost in an empty way, at the expense of enjoying our Savior in the eternal now? And I say many times, especially as I've looked back at my life. Dr. Rokas, in, in the book, Time and Despondency, she writes, Our thoughts take us down one mental rabbit hole after another, propelled by the illusion that that all our imaginings will somehow change our present circumstances. Whether dwelling in the past or looking towards the future, somehow is going to change and heal my soul right now in this present. Evagrius, the monastic, he wrote this, When our spiritual vision has clouded, we become blind to God and blind to the nuances and undeserved goodness of our actual circumstances. I I don't want anybody to raise their hands. I don't want you to nod your heads on this. But how many of you throughout each day take stock of the blessings of God in that day? Okay. How many of you are aware of the many blessings and not just are aware of, but voice them to God as praise? as part of your prayer life, you see? This is what we're after. This is what needs to happen because that keeps us in the present moment with God. And finally, the last escape we'll talk about this morning, the temptation to escape the present. There can be a spiritual temptation to escape the present. Here's what I mean. Evagrius, the monastic again, he wrote this. The demon of despondency creates listlessness when one rises in prayer. Then he bothers us again when we pray or sing psalms of praise and that he urges us to hurry. We need to look at our life of prayer. First question we should ask ourselves is, do we have one? I don't say that empty. I know some struggle. I struggled in my early adulthood and young Christianity to 
live more of a life of prayer and fellowship with God. And it's really only excelled till I came into the Orthodox Church and found out what prayer is all about. Did this start to happen? And I'm still on the way. But is our life of prayer that we're doing right now, is it truly a fellowship with God? Or is it just simply going through the motions, the prescriptive motions that we've been told to do by uttering words on the page? Dr. Rokas, again, from her book, said, Despondency is a temptation to abandon relational spiritual effort. And I love the fact that she enjoyed, I mean, that she put that word in there, relational spiritual effort, not just spiritual effort. It's all about union, relationship, fellowship with the living God that we can enjoy in these moments. She says this, It's a temptation that shows up in two dominant forms. On the one hand, we may gradually cease to spiritual endeavors altogether. In other words, we give up on God because we're tired of not experiencing anything because all we've been doing is mouthing words. So we give up on God altogether and give up on a prayer life and fellowship with Him. Secondly, on the other hand, we may continue or even intensify going through the motions, but they eventually become absent of any true presence on our part. Now, I want you to hear this very clearly. We ebb and flow with perceived experience with God. Not every moment we're going to be granted heavens opened up and a ladder coming down and our seeing angels going up and down. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. We press through. And then there are those moments where we feel like God is so right near us We don't want him to leave. So we ebb and flow with that. But it should be an ebbing and flowing, never just a consistent doing without the presence, without some experience of fellowship with God. And we need to take a look at that because one of the most subtle and crafty deceptions of Satan is this. If he can just keep us doing all the right things and saying the right prayers but keep us from opening our hearts and our minds to a living God while we do them. Oh, he's got us. In fact, you'll, remember, you'll probably remember this, and if you've ever read this, but also some of the teachings we've done here on C.S. Lewis, the Screwtape Letters, but also, as fathers mentioned, Peter Kraft in the Snakebite Letters, which was the follow-up and more modernized version of that, where he brings some things in. This is one of the key things that's running all throughout. Satan welcomes and even desires people to go to church and pray, but to do so without hearts open to or acknowledging the reality that God is present with us when we're doing it. If he can get us in the forms without the substance, in other words, that's Satan has done his job. He doesn't even have to look over as much anymore. You see, because we're locked into routine, not relationship. It must be both. There is relationship prescriptive to bring us to, I mean, routine prescriptive to bring us to relationship. We have to have both, okay? And there's no way out of despondency if this becomes a reality where we're going through the motions but not even aware that God's with us as we're doing that. So watch for those things. 
Let me conclude today, yeah, with a beautiful way that Dr. Rocco speaks about all that Christ does offer us through his church. The church remains a willing aid, ready to lead us by the hand back to God in the present. The church calls not just our minds, but our whole being and all our wandering loose ends back into existence, back into presence. Every juncture of sacred time links us to the incarnation the reaching of eternity into this world, and in doing so, unites us not only to Christ, but into the realization of our very selves as icons of Him. My friends, that is where despondency has to leave. The moment we encounter God and see Him in His face, our true identities as He tells us we are, restlessness settles. And that's the only place restlessness settles. Hmm? Okay, very good. A couple of minutes. Any thoughts or questions? Very good. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. God bless you all.